Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for being here as we close out the series we've been doing called The Importance of Questioning. And I'm really excited about what we're sharing today as we wrap up some of these ideas that we've been looking at. Um, the, the, the idea of the whole series is obviously kind of described in that title, The Importance of Questioning. And the reason we called it that is because um, I have found in my own life, I have found in most people that I speak to and all Christians, everyone, that there is at least a point, a season in our lives where we question the realities of Christianity. Whereas Christians, we doubt some of the things, and we've seen that a lot of the people in the stories of Jesus, in the accounts of Jesus, doubted and questioned too. And usually what the response is in our own hearts, because we're like, oh, am I allowed to do that? Or what the response from other Christians may be, you've experienced that, or other churches are, is, is something like, no, 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 don't doubt, just believe, just believe. And we kind of shove doubts and questions aside, and, and that's dangerous, because if we do that, then what we end up doing is not giving the, 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 the diligence to the questions that we should be giving, not giving the thought to some of those doubts that we should be giving, and we sometimes end up with a childhood faith that's kind of just based on inadequate thought. And when that happens, when we bump into a big question that kind of finally makes sense, or we bump into a tragedy in our lives, then this blind faith, this childhood faith, doesn't seem robust enough to hold or to face that stuff. And so what we've said is it's actually important to question. It's actually important to take the time and give the diligence to the questions, to the doubts, because when we do, not only do we not hide and pretend, but we actually can dig into some of the robust realities and the credibility of why we actually believe. And so over the past few weeks, we've sort of said, hey, it's okay to ask. And we've taken some time to look at some of the reasons that we actually do believe the stuff that we believe. In fact, you know, the reason I say all that is because I think a lot of people who have walked away from faith have probably walked away from a childhood faith that wasn't robust enough because the questions weren't asked and it was based on some stuff that didn't make sense and that kind of faith doesn't hold water. Or people have walked away because they weren't allowed to ask questions and said, well, if I'm not allowed to ask questions, are you nervous of this? Are you scared of this? And people have walked away. So we, we've said, hey, it's important to ask questions and because you get to ask the question and then you discover some of the realities of the credibility of Christianity and why we actually believe. So we spent some time asking questions, can we actually trust the Bible? Can we trust that the resurrection happened? And what we found over the last couple of weeks is that the guys who wrote the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and the documents about Christianity and describing all of that, I, they seem to have integrity. They seem to be credible. They seem to be people you can trust. And here's why we said that is because they had nothing to gain and everything to lose by writing this stuff down and sharing it. I mean, from the very beginning, they were threatened with suffering, pain, persecution, and death if they said this stuff. And so if they were saying the stuff and it wasn't true and they didn't see it and they were making this up, it wasn't like they were getting famous and rich. They had nothing. They got death as a result. So if it wasn't true, they'd be really stupid to write this stuff down. And yet they did. And what you find as you read their stories, as you read their lives and study their lives, as they went through the pain, the, the suffering, the persecution, and the, the threats of death and ultimately death for most of them as well, they did it with a strength, a hope, a peace in the midst of all of that, a joy 
It, it's crazy to think, and it kind of shows, hey, what they believe did something, provided something that these guys were able to live. So it's, it's a big deal. If you missed any of the last few parts, I'd love for you to go listen in because it kind of lays the foundation for where we're going today. And where we're going today is to look at something that Jesus said about himself. And this is so important because what he said about himself lays the foundation for everything else within Christianity. So we want to look at that and, and what you discover when you, when you read Jesus, when you read what he said, you discover one of the most beautiful offers, one of the most beautiful promises that you could ever imagine. I want to read a few things that Jesus offers. The first thing that you discover, not the first, but one of the things that you discover when you read Jesus and to study what he said is you discover this beautiful, beautiful promise that Jesus came to give life. That's what he came to do. He came to give life, and all of us are looking for life. All of us are looking for fulfillment. All of us are looking for meaning. And Jesus said, I came to give life, and life to the full. It's something we all want. And Jesus comes along, and he says, I got you. I got you. This is what I want to give. Jesus also came to offer forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. And if there's a God, we want to be good with him. And we know there's something weird inside of us. We know we don't live up to our own standards. We know we probably don't live up to a holy, perfect God's standards. And so Jesus coming along and saying, forgiveness, reconciliation with God, that's amazing. What an offer. That's incredible. And he comes and does that. He also comes and he says, I have a way to take away guilt and shame. Two of the things that hound the human heart. I don't know about you, but most people I speak to in my own heart, guilt and shame are things that they, and, and it's, it's you wanna hide because you don't know if people know the real me, will they accept me? And Jesus comes and he says, I've got grace and mercy for you. And if it's true, man, it changes everything. Jesus kind of offers a love that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine, where he knows you completely. He knows the worst of you, he knows the worst of me, and he says, I love you. What if that's true? What if that settles in? Doesn't that change things where we're fully known, fully known, every bit of the worst parts of us, every mistake, everything that we're ashamed of, everything we're guilty from, and he says, I see it, I'm not afraid of it, and I love you. That's what Jesus offers. It's incredible. He offers an acceptance that is so big that it meets the deepest needs of the human heart. This is what Jesus offers as you read him. It's incredible. And it goes further than that. Jesus also offers an answer to one of our greatest fears, something that we can't control. We love control. We love to control everything, make sure that I've got everything under control. There's one thing that we know we can't control, and that's death. We're all gonna die one day and sometimes death squeaks into our families and into our loved ones and into our friendships and it happens way too soon and then it shocks all of us and the question comes and says, what next? What, what happens after death? It's something we can't control and Jesus comes along and he says, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than that and I can offer you hope that you can face death. Like this is crazy if you think about it, that you can face death with peace with joy and with hope. That's what he offers. Not only for the future, not only for eternity, he, that's huge, but he also comes and says, I wanna offer you help. Help to navigate the craziness of this broken world. Help to navigate the craziness of your own broken heart. 
help to navigate the relationships, help to all that stuff. So, so, so the reality is if you read Jesus' words, you discover an incredible offer of life, of joy, of peace, of grace, of mercy, of strength, of hope. That's what he offers. It's really, if you think about it, it's really an incredible offer. And that's what he offers. That's what Christianity offers. But that sounds very different from the type of Christianity that we sometimes bump into. Because if, if, if there's all this grace and all this mercy and all this life and hope, and if all that's real, who would want to walk away from that? That's beautiful. It's what we all want. It's what we all long for. It's something in our hearts that says, I want that. If I could write down what I want, I'd probably want that. And that's what I want. And Jesus comes along and says, here you go. This is what I bring. It's all, it's life. It's there. But that's often not the kind of Christianity that people experience. This is why a lot of people walk away because the kind of Christianity in this modern day that we sometimes experience is more about guilt and shame and ought to's and better do's and should do's and don't do's. And it kind of, you walk in and you walk out and you go, ah, I feel bad about myself already. Why would I wanna to go to church to feel more bad about myself? And that kind of Christianity is like, I'm, I'm good without that. I, I don't mind walking away. If it's about life and hope and grace and peace and joy and ho all that stuff, eternal hope, why would we walk away? But the type of Christianity that sometimes we bump into is filled with judgment and guilt and shame and anger and division. And it's the kind of Christianity that's like, no thanks. No thanks. Why? What, what good is that? No wonder people walk away. I mean, you can't, you can't be surprised that people walk away, but it doesn't seem like, like if you measure what you read that Jesus offers and you measure what, what, what so many people experience, it's like very different. It almost fits into what Paul said to a guy he was mentoring, Timothy, when he said, there's gonna be a form of godliness that denies its power. A form of godliness, like you got Jesus attached to it, got Christianity, the word, but there's no power for life change. There's no power that gives grace and hope and joy and peace in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the difficulty. I mean, these guys who wrote this stuff, they literally faced persecution almost all the time and they write about joy and peace. That's incredible. That's what I want. That's what I want to experience. That's what I want to know. And yet the Christianity that we sometimes bump into is this form of godliness that denies it's power, and it's so sad because that's sometimes what people taste and feel and go, if that's what Christianity is, no wonder people walk away because they question it and they go, if this is all it is, eh, I'm not sure I want that. So they walk away and it leads to people walking away. And I believe, here's, here's, here's what I believe. If we can come back to this, this reality of what Jesus said, here it is, this hope, peace, joy, strength, all that beauty, love, grace, mercy. If we came back to that, I think it would be very hard to walk away from. I really do, I think it'll be hard to walk away from. Yes, there'll be questions, yes, there'll be struggles, yes, there'll be difficult situations, yes, there'll still be doubts, but when you discover that kind of grace and hope that Jesus made possible, that can fit into all the brokenness, be around all the mess, the difficulty, the reality of a broken world, it fits in there and supersedes it, I think that'll be hard to walk away from because you know what, we won't want to walk away from that because that kind of grace and hope is what we're all looking for. But here's the problem with that. The problem is, yes, we're all looking for that. And yes, if that's what we want, man, it's incredible. It's wonderful. It's, it's awesome. We want that. But the problem is that kind of grace and hope 
that kind of promise, that kind of joy, that kind of peace that transcends the mess of life, that kind of grace and hope is only possible if Jesus is who he says he is. If he's not who he says he is, then all of that falls apart. If he's not, because here's what we're going to see. We're going to see today that he claimed very strongly to be God. And if he's not God, then there is no forgiveness of sins in him. There is no hope for eternal life. There is no joy in the midst of a broken world. There is no peace. There is no strength. There is no help. If he's not who he says he is, then all of those promises fall apart. They can't happen. And practically, it makes Jesus an absolute liar because none of that will work. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work. Let me see if I can try to explain this. What I mean is this. Very often, I bump into people when you study Christianity or Jesus that they bump into these miracles, and they're like, eh, I don't believe in miracles. I've never seen a miracle, so I don't know if a miracle can happen. And they bump into the resurrection, and they're like, I don't know if I buy, I've never seen anyone rise from the dead, so how do we buy that? How do you believe that? And I don't blame people, because it's hard to believe in miracles when you've never seen a miracle. That makes sense. But, but because people do that, then studies are written to say, well, if those weren't possible, you know, why are they there? Why are they written? So, so what they start to do is start to discover who the real historical Jesus is. And the real historical Jesus, I mean, there was someone who changed the world, like BC means before Christ, and I know we've changed it to before the common era now and all that, but the reality is it's still that date when Jesus was born. Jesus changed the world, so why was it? If the miracles didn't happen, if the resurrection didn't happen, what was it? Oh, he must have just been an incredible person. He must have been one of the most amazing teachers, the best of us all, an incredible example, a teacher that you wanna follow because he said these amazing things and if we just did what he said, imagine the, who we would be, imagine what our society would be. We'd love people, we'd love our neighbors, we'd be kind and all that stuff because he was an incredible teacher. But he wasn't God. He wasn't God. He couldn't have been God. He couldn't have done those miracles. That's, and, and a good teacher would never say, I'm God, because that would just like ruin your reputation. If, if someone tells you in a conversation, I'm God, back away slowly, just, you know, because it's weird. And if Jesus said that he couldn't be a good man, he couldn't be a, a good teacher, he couldn't be a moral example if he said he's God. And so a lot of times people remove the Godness from Jesus and just elevate him as a really great guy, a really good example, an amazing teacher. And if that's true, then yes, we can follow that. But he, he, he wasn't God. And they say he never claimed to be God. And, and they explain that sometimes the reason that's written in the Bible is because these accounts were written years and years, hundreds of years later, to, to kind of elevate the legendary status of Jesus so that they could you know, make people love him even more and control the populace. And, and I hear that argument, and it, I get it, I get it, because Christianity has been used to manipulate and abuse people before, I know that, and so it feels like that, and we haven't seen miracles, so it's hard to believe that, but here's the problem. When people say he's just a good teacher, he's just a good man, he's just a great example, a moral person, the unintended consequence when we do that is it removes the power of everything within Christianity. If you take the godness of Jesus away, like I said earlier, there is no grace. He can't give it. He's just a nice guy. There is no forgiveness. He can't forgive you of your sins. He can't provide a way to forgive you of your sins if he's just a good guy. He can't do that. There is no hope for that. There is no hope of eternity. He doesn't know eternity. He just died. 
He didn't overcome anything. And if you remove the Godness from Jesus, then all the grace, all the mercy, all the forgiveness, all the hope, all the help in this world falls apart because it doesn't work if he's not God. And all his teachings fall apart as well because you can't deny that Jesus did teach that he was God. And some people will argue, well, that's just in the Bible. It's very clear. We're going to look at it now. It's very clear in the Bible that he taught that. But show me some stuff outside of the Bible that proves that. Well, let me say this. I think it's very clear that Jesus taught that he was God. Why? Because you don't crucify a good guy. You can't just be a good guy. You taught really good things. Let's crucify him. No, that doesn't make sense. He had to have said something to crucify him. And like we saw a couple of weeks ago, Pliny the Younger, one of the historians in Rome, he explained how just soon after these things were written down in the Bible, the followers of Jesus claimed to worship Jesus. You don't worship a man. They claim to worship him as God. That's history. That's not Bible. And so Jesus clearly claimed to be God. And if he claimed to be God, then all of his other teachings come into question. Because if you say that great, you know, the, the, the golden rule, love your neighbor or, or, or do to others what you want them to do to you, that's a great thing. And then he goes from there and he says, by the way, I'm God. You can't just be that. And if that's not true, suddenly it's a lie and everything else becomes questionable. So you lose your credibility if you say you're God and you're not. But Jesus did say that. He said he's God. I wanna show you how so clearly Jesus made clear that he didn't give us the option to say, I'm just a good teacher or I'm just a nice guy because he said, I'm God. So you gotta ask the question, okay, if you're God, cool, that's great. But if you're not God and you're saying you're God, then I don't know if I can trust you because you're lying or you're crazy. And you kind of have to get there. Jesus never gave us the option to just say, I'm a good teacher. I wanna show you some things that he said and some things that his critics said. There was a conversation he was having with a group of people about Abraham. Abraham is so pivotal in the Hebrew uh, history and the Jewish nation. And in John 8, verse 53, a group asks him this. They say, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And here's what Jesus said. This is where it gets crazy. He says, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, you know, let's get past the grammatically incorrect reality of that. What does that mean? When he said, I am, he was using a name of God that was so known to these Jewish people. Before Abraham was, I am. And he was saying something about eternal reality. Before he was born thousands of years ago, I am. And you know that they knew what he said by their response. Verse 59, at this, they picked up stones to stone him. <laughs> Why? Why would they want to stone him, kill him? Because they knew he was claiming to be God. And they wanted to kill him for the blasphemy. Another situation, another good example of Jesus clearly saying that he was God was just before he was crucified, he was being tried by the religious leaders. Here's what happened in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. It says this, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah. Tell us if you are the Son of God. And Jesus' simple response was this, you have said so. Yes, that, that's right. Jesus replied, but I say to all of you 
From now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, if you're not God, you're cuckoo if you say that. If you're not God, that's crazy. I'm gonna come on the clouds of heaven. What are you talking about? And to make it even worse, those words are basically quoting a prophecy from the prophet Daniel that these religious leaders knew about that when they used that statement and the statement son of man, which sounds like it's a human, no, the son of man statement was literally a reference to deity, to godness. And they knew that. Look at their response. You can see that they knew that. Then the high priest, verse 65, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. And he asks the crowd, what do you think? And they say, he is worthy of death. Why? Because he clearly claimed to be God using Jewish prophecy and tradition to say, I am God. In other words, there's, he doesn't give us the option to just say he's a nice guy because either he's lying about it or he's crazy or he's God. Another example in John 10 verse 24 and, and the, the heading uh, in my Bible that the English translators put in to describe the context says this, further conflict over Jesus' claims. This is further conflict over what he claimed. And this is what he says in verse 24, John 10, 24. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, just tell us plainly, please. Just tell us. And look at his response. He says, I did tell you. I've already told you. And you didn't believe me. Then he says, the works I do in my Father's name, they testify about me. In other words, haven't you seen the miracles? Don't you know that humans can't do miracles? Don't you know that only God can do that? And that shows that I'm not just a person. I'm not just a teacher. I'm God. And then he says, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. You don't believe me. You haven't chosen to follow me like a sheep follows a shepherd. So you, you don't believe me. And then he says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then look at the claims he makes here. It's crazy. He says, I give my sheep, I give them eternal life. Who says that? I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Even if they die physically, they will have life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of, the, out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then look what he says. I and my Father are one. In other words, God and I are the same. <laughs> Jesus clearly claimed to be God. And look at their response. They, they knew what he was saying. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? I can't imagine that moment. They're like picking up stones, they're gonna kill him. He's like, hold on, hold on. Which good work are you stoning me for? And they're like, no, 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 no. Look what they say. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied. They knew what he was saying, but for the blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what he was saying. Jesus was very clear. You can't read through what he said. You can't read history without realizing that Jesus claimed to be God. It's a big deal. Even if you don't believe in him, 
You can't deny that he claimed to be God. Throughout these writings, throughout history, you see evidence of this claim to be God. He never, ever gave us the option to just be a good moral teacher because no good human moral teacher would say things like this. No good example. You're not a good example to someone if you say you're God. (laughs) If you're not. You're not. No human that goes around saying, worship me, I am the Lord God Almighty. It's a bad example, unless you're God. So you can't be a good human teacher, you can't be a good guy, you can't be a good person, you can't be a good teacher and claim these things. It would make everything else questionable. C.S. Lewis actually talks about this in uh, his book, Mere Christianity, and this is what he says. He said it so brilliantly. I'm trying, this is what he says, he's talking about all this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not and cannot say, C.S. Lewis says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Same, same. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, he says. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I think it's brilliantly said, and what he's saying here is there there are only really two options. You know, we like this middle option, and I think the reason, I think one of the reasons we walk away from Christianity sometimes is because we've made him just a good teacher. And then you bump into all this other weird stuff, and if he's just a good teacher, this is weird, I'm gonna walk away from that. Or if he's just a good teacher, and you hear some of the good things, and then he says something trying to teach us something that doesn't, that we don't like. And if he's just a good teacher, that's easy to walk away from. Yeah, I used to like my teacher, and then he said this, I'm out of here, if he's just a teacher. But Jesus made very, very sure not to give us that option. He's not just a good teacher or just a moral person. He is either who he says he is, God, or he's a lunatic or a liar who's deceived billions of people, a really good liar, obviously, but he's a a liar or a lunatic. And then you wanna write that off because you don't want any of that. You should walk away from that. But if he's God, If he is who he says he is, as C.S. Lewis says, you need to fall at his feet and call him Lord. Because the only honest response to Jesus being God is surrendering everything, if he really is. The only honest response is to fall on your face and go, I worship you, because you are God. That's the only option. But at some point, C.S. Lewis says, we've got to get to the point where we choose. Do I think he's a liar? Do I think he's a lunatic? Or do I think he's Lord? Those are the only real options we have because no one who says those things can just be a good teacher. You can't do it. And if he's God, like I said, then the honest, only logical response is to surrender everything to him as God. But that's hard 
right? <laughs> we don't like to do that. You know why? Because I like to be my own Lord and my own God. I like to, to run my own life, and I don't want to surrender it all to God. We don't like to do that. That's hard to do. And that's why I love the fact that we have the Bible, these eyewitness accounts, because they talk about that. They show that it's not easy, and they show how people struggled with that. I want to read a conversation that Jesus had right after feeding the 5,000 people. And in this, he uses bread because he's just given them all bread. He uses bread as an example of himself saying that I'm not just a human teacher. I am way more. And he uses bread to sort of say, just like bread keeps you alive, just like you need bread, you depend on food to keep you alive, that's who I am. And if you can depend on me, you will find life. If you don't depend on me as that, as more than a teacher, more than an example, if you don't depend on me as everything, the source of life, you can't find that life. You can't find that grace. You can't find that forgiveness. So he has this long conversation, and I want to point out a few things in it. In John chapter 6, verse 25, again, he's just fed the 5,000, and then he crossed the lake with his disciples, and some people found him there. John 6, 25 says this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, kind of knowing what they're thinking. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you liked the food I gave you. You liked what I did to help you in that moment. You liked what I did to, to help you in this temporary season. You liked that, so you came and you want more. That's why you're here. And then he says, here's my advice. Don't work for food that spoils, that's only temporary, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, there's that term again, the Son of Man, he's claiming deity, the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So he's saying, I know you want what's comfortable now, I know you want what, what you can get now, but I need you to think bigger, I need you to think more, because I can provide more for you if you see me for who I am. So they asked him, okay, verse 28, what must we do to do the works of God that he requires? And Jesus says something so important, so simple. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That you believe I am him, that I am God. If you believe that everything flows from that, all his grace, all his mercy, all his forgiveness, all his life, all his strength, all of everything he gives flows from that fact. Believe in the one that God has sent. So then they say, okay, well, verse 30, they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Which is so weird. I mean, he's just fed the 5,000. What more do they want? He's just done that. And then they said, our ancestors, verse 31, ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, yeah, I know that. Very truly, I tell you, though, it is not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father, and he adjusts it to him. My Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he's claiming to bring life if we're able to accept it and believe that he is the source of life. They said, sir, always give us this bread, not clicking, not realizing that that's what he's talking about. And then he says clearly, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Who, listen, this is huge. What if this is true? 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Even in this world when they suffer. Paul said, I have been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've abased. There's so many times when I haven't had, but there's something deeper that he provides. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is more than a teaching. Go do Christian things. No, he's saying, believe that I am the source of life, and if you surrender to me in that way, there is a depth, there is a grace, there is a hope, there is a strength that comes. When we believe, you'll never thirsty. But Jesus says, and this is huge, as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. And unless we believe that he is that, is who he says he is, we don't have access to that hope and that grace and that mercy and that joy and that peace and that strength. Verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And this is where some people went, eh, I don't know if I buy that. Here's what they said, verse 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This is what they said. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father And mother, we know, he's just a guy. He's just a man. And right there, they cut off any power that he had in their life. They cut off any hope of his forgiveness and hope and grace and mercy because they said, he's just a guy. We know his father and his mother. How can can he say now, I came from heaven? And right there, that's the pinnacle. That's the point. That's the linchpin. Did they believe that he was who he said he was, the son of God? And if they did, there is life, there is hope, there is peace, there is joy. And if not, they were like, eh, he's just a great teacher and he fed us some good bread. And here's what happened. They said, on hearing this stuff, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And from this time, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because they didn't see him for who he was. If Jesus is just a teacher, if Jesus is just kind of helping out in my life and doing what I need him to do, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm really hungry, can you give me food right now? If he's just that, that's really easy to walk away from. If he's not God, that's really easy to walk away from. And many people turn back because they saw him as a good man, a good guy, a nice guy, really nice guy, teacher, good example, man. But you said something I don't like, so I'm out of here. If Jesus is just a teacher, it's easy to walk away from him. And in this moment, they had seen him as a teacher, and then he said, no, 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 I'm God. And they were like, whoa, now you're crazy. Lunatic, liar. And they walked away. And then Jesus turned <laughs> to his own closest disciples, and he said this, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter answered this way. It's beautiful. He says, Lord, he didn't say lunatic. (laughs) He didn't say liar. He said, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have discovered that thing we're looking for 
in you. You have those words. And we, verse 69, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. <laughs> and that's hard to walk away from. If, you, if you've discovered that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's God, then the moments of confusion, I mean, because these guys were, they were, I mean, you're losing the crowd, Jesus. Oh, we're gaining momentum. This is going bad. Oh, but if you still believe that he is God, then come what may, in that moment, if he's God, and yes, there'll be questions. Yes, there'll be struggles. Yes, there'll be difficulties. But if he's just a teacher, he can't help because it doesn't apply always. But if he's God and he knows and he's there and he's got hope and he's got grace, that's hard to walk away from. And in this moment that was hard for these disciples, they were like, you're scaring us. But we've still come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of eternal life. You have what we're looking for. Oh my gosh, and even when we don't feel it like now, Jesus, we've come to believe and to know that that's who you are. And Jesus, that's hard to walk away from. Who else carries that? Who else is that? This whole interaction, Jesus made it very clear that, that you can't just see him as a good guy or a good example or a good teacher. He's either who he says he is, Lord, God, or he's a lunatic and a liar. And you want to walk away from that. But he can't just be a good teacher. He can't just be that. So as we close the series, here's what we've said. We've said that there are credible reasons why we can believe and trust the Bible. There are credible reasons. We've said that there are, there's good evidence to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we've said today that Jesus claimed to be God. And removing his godness is not an option. It's, it's not an option. Removing that, because he claimed that. So we can't just take that out and only look at the good parts and cut out the other parts and say, okay, cool, Jesus, nice teacher. Yeah, love, love others, love your neighbor, be kind. That's cool, Jesus said it, so let's claim Jesus as an authority. But He's not really God. He cannot be an authority unless he is who he says he is. And as C.S. Lewis put it, again, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, I say all this not to try and pressure anyone into believing something that they don't believe. I say this just to show you this is what's said. The Jesus of history clearly claimed to be God. He was killed for it. And so either we have to choose at some point in our faith journey, wherever you're at, at some point in your faith journey, you have to decide. Because he can't be a good teacher, he can't be a good moral man, he can't be a nice guy. He didn't leave that option for us. So at some point in our faith journey, we have to decide, what do I believe about him? And it's okay if you're not there yet and there's journeying and questions and that's what we do. We talk about this all the time and I'm excited about that. But at some point along the way, we have to decide, do I believe that he's Lord? 
Because there are implications that come with that. Beautiful, wonderful implications and surrendering implications. Do I believe that he's Lord? Or do I believe that he's a lunatic or a liar? What, what do I believe? Because I can't just say, oh, I like his teachings. Because that's dishonest. That's dishonest. And to be honest, you have to either say lunatic or liar or Lord. And then if he is Lord, the implications are, oh man, I need to fall at his feet, worship him, and give my life to him. That's the only obvious step to take if I believe that. So the question I want to leave us with in this series is, who do you see Jesus as? What do you believe that he is? Is he Lord and God who he said he is? Or is he a liar? Or is he a lunatic? Because he can't be just a teacher. And if he's a liar and a lunatic, we probably want to walk away. If he's just a teacher, you will eventually walk away. But if he's Lord, he has the words of eternal life. He has grace and mercy and love beyond anything we've ever experienced. That's who he is if he's Lord. And that's what he said he is. So what do you believe about Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for these people who wrote this stuff down. Thank you for these people who wrote it down in the midst of persecution and suffering and death. Thank you. Father, thank you that they saw who Jesus was. Thank you that Jesus didn't give us the option to just be a nice guy or a good teacher. Thank you for what he claimed. And Father, thank you. I believe who he is is who he said he is. Father, thank you that he is the one who can change our life. He has changed my life. He has changed so many of our lives. Thank you for the grace and the love and the mercy and the hope and the strength. Thank you that this is not just a form of godliness that denies its power, but there is so much life-changing, eternity-altering power in what you brought. And Father, I pray for all of us as we navigate and journey and discover and develop and deepen in our understanding of this, I pray that you will reveal Christ to us more and more, that we can surrender, fall on our faces and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.